A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211 Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Thank you for joining us once again on the show. In the next couple of hours, we'll be hearing a story from a listener who was losing weight and couldn't put their finger on on why. And there's a real salutary lesson in what Liam O'Neill has to say to us. A business thriving during COVID. Yes, intact software from Dundalk are a great news story. Justin Lawless will be with us in a while. Crows are building, aren't they? I'm out doing me walks, as you know, and the crows are going mad everywhere. And I've noticed they're nesting the trees all over the place. We're going to talk about crows today on the show with Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland. And of course, my Christy Moore story continues. I have a lovely song for you. And I'll be telling you more about Christy after three o'clock on the show. If you want to get in touch with us, 086-1800-658 is the number. You can text or WhatsApp me uh, to the show or you can call in on 1850-715-958. That is the telephone number. Now, my first guest today is a victim of sexual exploitation and assault. Anthony Smith from County Meath was convicted of the offences and jailed for two years earlier this month. Waiving anonymity, Aoife Lynch has spoken about her ordeal and she joins me now on the line. Hello, Aoife. Hi, thank you so much for having me on today. Not at all. You're very, very welcome to the show. Can I ask you this first off? Probably the easier route, right... We're going to come to this in a moment when you started to talk about this, right? But in the context of what happened in recent weeks, it would have been much easier for you not to, you know, come into the public domain with your identity, his or the story. Why did you do that? Um, Absolutely. It would have been so much easier to just keep everything under wraps and only tell people that are close to me. But I feel like there's so much work that needs to be done to spread awareness about issues like this and there's there needs to be more support services for victims and I just need to feel like it's something that needs to be talked about and we need to spread awareness on it because if we don't then the number of victims are just going to continue to to rise. Um, How did you not give up because many people might have because it took what almost four years from beginning to end for this awful situation to come to a conclusion and not that it ever will for you in your life or your mind but were there times you felt like saying I'll give up here 
Um, absolutely, all the time. I, it was so hard to just constantly have that hanging over me. It was always there at the back of my mind. But I, I was just so lucky to have such support of family and friends around me. I honestly wouldn't have been able to do it without them. And I realised there are a lot of people out there who are going through things like this who may not have such a good support system around them. So that's why it's so important to provide services for people because a lot of people might not have that support system to turn or fall back on. Now we go back to 2014 when this began and you were just a child, 14 years of age. How did you come on into contact with this man? Um, my father was um, in a relationship with his sister and they lived next door to each other so um, I would have been down around his house a lot and he would have been down um, at her house as well. Mm, okay, so there was a proximity there and it began from there. How did, you know, you you know get in contact really with him? I'm trying to tease that out. How, you know, there's quite an age difference between the two of you. How did you come into contact with him at all on such a close level? Um, well, he would have been down at his sister's house quite regularly, like three or four times a day, things like that. Um and everyone kind of would be just in the kitchen talking to each other and things like that. So it was a very kind of casual situation. And um, then I was I was being bullied in school and um, I didn't want to worry my family about it and just decided not to not to tell them. And then um, that's when it kind of started um, the communication with Anthony Smith. Um, he would kind of tell me like oh it's going to be okay or if you ever need anything let me know and that that's kind of how it started and the contact picked up. Mm. So you were vulnerable through the school bullying and he was a willing ear at the time somebody to talk to. Yeah absolutely Um, but I didn't really think anything of it at the time because I kind of looked to him as part of my family so I didn't really think anything strange or odd of it at the time. Mm. And, and and how does something like that then start to develop into something sinister? What happened? Um, I suppose um, contact just became more frequent and um, it kind of, it was so gradual and it just kind of started off with um, him coming down to the house and like throwing his arm around me or things like that. But he'd done it in such a casual way that, it, it, nobody would have known what was going on. Like, I think about it now, like, if I was somebody that was in the room while things were happening, like, I wouldn't have even realised what was going on because it was so well hidden and so... It felt like, looking back and it, it feels like it was so well thought out. Mm. So I think abusers, they know what to do so that they don't get caught and to make their victims feel vulnerable and like that they're the only person that they can talk to and that if you do speak up or tell anyone that it's going to be devastating for them and their family and in that sort of sense. Yeah, so you had that going through your mind as well. So physical contact started. There was a lot of contact via text, pictures, messages. Yeah, um, there was a lot of contact through social media and... um, I've had a lot of people talking to me recently and they said, um, or like a lot of parents, they'd be like, I check my my child's phone just to make sure that everything's okay. And that's, that's a good thing to do. But at the same time, especially in my case, messages can be deleted. 
and especially on Snapchat, they get deleted as soon as they're opened. And that's kind of a gateway for predators. And that's why we need to spread education and awareness on this matter because it's so easily brushed under the carpet so that nobody can see what's going on. Even if you are so close to the victim, it's so easy not to even notice what's happening. He sent you images, explicit images. He did, yeah. Did you not, I know, I'm sorry to say this, you were only 14 at the time, but did you not feel that was wrong? Did you not think of maybe saying it to somebody? I did. When I got, when I received them, um, I was kind of just taken aback and kind of in shock and I didn't really know what to do or what to say. Like my first reaction was, okay, I need to kind of tell somebody about this. But then... I started thinking about all the other factors and I was like, well, this is going to affect my family and it's going to seriously affect his family. And I was really close with his family at that time, so I didn't want that. And I was like, okay, well, I need to just kind of deal with this on my own and do my best to protect my family and his family. What do you say to somebody of your age then, 14, 15, 16, that maybe thinking I'm in a similar situation today. What would you say to that person? What would you say to yourself age 14 today to do? I would say if you feel like you can't talk to a friend or a family member, there are services out there that you can ring anonymously so that you can still talk to someone. They can still give you advice and figure out what the best route to go down for you is, whether that's reporting it, whether it's talking to a professional but I would strongly advise talking to somebody, even if it's, if you bring one of the centres up and talk anonymously. It is so important that you don't keep it to yourself and try and deal with it all yourself because you might think that, oh, it's okay as it goes along, but it does get you down and it's, no one should be silenced by their abusers and have to be alone and go through that by themselves. Yeah. Great advice. When you were 14 back in 2014, this man has been convicted of exploitation, sexual exploitation and assaulting you. He assaulted you then. Does that, was that only once that happened or was it more than once? Um, No, there were multiple occasions where incidents like that happened. Do those incidents haunt you today? They do. Like, they stay with me. Like, they've stayed with me since they've happened, but I just suppose since I started talking to people and opening up with, like, my people that I trust, that I kind of feel like a bit of that burden has been lifted because it's not me carrying the weight of it by myself. A lot of my family members, they give me advice and help me and things like that, but um, I don't think it's ever going Mm. to go away. It's just a matter of, learning to live with it basically and trying to find tools that work for you to help you through it. Yes, and there is a way and there is lots of help out there. Now, this stopped when you were 14 or was it 15? I know he sent you a message on your 15th birthday to say that uh, he loved you and that was, you know, as you turned 15. When did this whole thing stop? Was it before that? No, it it would have been after that. um, His sister and my dad... um, and uh, their relationship ended, so then I wasn't um, I wasn't down there in... Yes, in, okay. 
yeah, yeah. You, you weren't in proximity at all then. And and after that, you got that message on your birthday. Did it stop then? Did it cease, or was there any sort of petering out, or was it there just a cut-off point? Um, things kind of escalated from there after that point. That's kind of when um, after that was kind of when most of the the physical contact began happening. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. And how long did that continue for? Um, it's kind of hard to put an exact timeline on it because it was so gradual from when it started, like the grooming and then between when it actually stopped. But I'd say about a year all in all. Did you know that this was wrong? I knew that it was wrong, but I didn't think that it applied to the situation that I was in because I considered him to be family. So I was kind of like, well, I know this this is happening, but this is somebody in my family. So what does it mean then? I didn't realise that it doesn't matter who they are, if they're family, if they're a friend, if it's a stranger, it's all the same. It shouldn't happen. Mm. It did stop eventually and you carried this with you within yourself. You didn't talk to anybody. No, I chose not to tell anybody um, for the same reason as I didn't tell anyone when it was happening. I just didn't want it to affect my family and his family and just the thought of how it would affect them Mm. and people around both of us. I just I didn't want them to have to go through Um, some of what I've went through or to even have to think about such horrible things. You did then eventually speak out when you're 18. What prompted that moment to say, I have to talk to somebody and who did you go to? Um, I originally, um, I told my mum and my dad and my stepdad and they were very, very supportive. Um, It just kind of got to the stage where it was taking such an effect on me physically, mentally and emotionally. I just, I couldn't deal with it anymore and I just had to tell someone. And I initially felt so guilty for doing that, for putting that burden on my family. But once you once you do start to talk about it, you realise you're not putting a burden on the people around you. People want to help. They want, like even strangers, if you tell a complete someone you don't know, they want to help. They might not know the exact right things to say, but you're not going to... It might hurt them or it might worry them, but it's better than just keeping it to yourself and trying to deal with it yourself. Did they advise you then to go to the Gardaí? They did, yeah. Um, I had gone down to the guards um, previously and I was going to make a report, but... um, yeah, I didn't want my family to find out at that stage. And then it was kind of explained to me that um, there was no, like it wasn't going to be definite that my family wouldn't find out or that his family wouldn't find out or people in the public wouldn't find out about it. So I decided not to take any further at that time. And then um, I was kind of just thinking it, thinking about it for the next few months. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to tell tell someone and you did? I did, yeah. I told um, I told the Gardaí mm. and I told my mum and my dad and my yeah, stepdad. Yeah. So then it was out there and obviously when you talk this through, uh, the wheels are put in motion. And as I said at the beginning, it took four years uh, for this uh, to come to trial and... Uh, 
the man in question, Anthony Smith, to be convicted. How how are you today? How do you feel now? Look at the, you know, you understand you're on the airwaves here today talking about this. You've been in the papers. You're all over the place. You know, people know you now. They know him. How do you feel today? Um, I feel like I still need to get this message out there and help other people because it happens to so, so many people. And many people think that just because that it's not reported that it didn't happen but it's it, that's not the case with a lot of people and I just feel like I need to do my best to get the word out there and help others in that situation um, and make that point of there needs to be more support services and education about this and um, kind of taking it day by day as well like I, I am getting there it does still affect me daily, but it's just, it's slowly starting to shrink. And now that um, that the sentencing is over and things like that, I can just focus on what I want to do with my life without having that hanging over me. So with help, uh, obviously it's cathartic talking when you spoke about this initially, then going through all you've gone through and you have help and you're saying that to me. There's lots of help out there and you are receiving help and will receive help in the future. Do you believe, you have to believe this of course, don't you, that you can put this behind you and move on and build your life from here? Yeah, you just, I think for me, I try to keep myself in a good mindset that I can deal with it and I can get through it it. and there are days where it feels impossible but um, it's all about having that support around you and making sure that you take things at your own pace. Like if you if you don't feel like if you if your mental health starts to deteriorate, you really do need to talk to somebody. And if that means you need to spend a full day in bed, spend a full day in bed. Do what you need to do, but make sure that it doesn't progress to something worse, and that you can kind of manage it and learn how to deal with it. Yes. There are dark places, but they can be avoided. And there's lots, again, you can do with professional help, of course, to uh, alleviate difficulties in your situation. I think you're really brave. I really do. And you have done a major service for so many other people who find themselves in this situation and may do in the future and have not spoken out. Thank you indeed for talking to me on Late Lunch today. I do appreciate it and I wish you all the very best. I really do going forward. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's Aoife Lynch there speaking to me. A victim of sexual exploitation and assault. She is a very brave young woman. If you're affected by anything we're talking about, Rape Crisis Centre 24 hour number is 1-800-77-8888. If you're affected by anything I spoke to Aoife Lynch about or you're concerned about anything, Rape Crisis Centre 24 hours you can call them 1-800, it's a free phone number, 1-800-77-8888. Isn't she a brave young girl, Louise? She's an amazing, Mm. amazing girl and she was quite nervous coming on but it didn't show. I can imagine the first time she's talked uh, about it. I know it's been in print, but that's the first time she's had a conversation about it uh, on the airwaves. She's um, She really has, you know, 
She really wants to do this for other people. Yes, yes. She really wants to be their a voice. Trailblazer, yeah. She's a trailblazer. She's so people. young. Yeah, and she sounds so young as I well. I don't think we've heard the last of her yeah. in terms 14 of fourteen years of age and somebody who's twenty odd years older. No, it just doesn't. It just doesn't gel. Can't gel with me, or I'm sure no. many people listening today to the show. Now, Slav, wait. I have a little update, Eloise. Day thirty-five yesterday. Se- seven by five is thirty-five. Five weeks done. Five weeks completed walking yesterday, 35 days, five days to go to the 40. And I want to say a big thank you to Eugene and Loretta Keehan. Uh, to Jean, don't know your second name. You didn't put uh, put it on you divil for me, Jean. Gloria Kiernan, uh, thank you all for your generous donations for Slav. And I just got, Louise, before coming on air, a, a really significant anonymous donation. <gasps> and I thank, they don't want to be named, but it is significant. And it means that overall, with everything, when you look at the GoFundMe, how it's risen since the walking started, St. Margaret's, the dolls, all the donations, you see them coming yeah, in here, absolutely. little envelopes Amazing. and everything every day, that we've just passed the 10,000. Wow. Well done. Just past the 10,000 mark in, uh, and I'm just humbled. Step by step, huh? Yes, and honoured and, oh my word, it's just something else. It really is. So thank you again, everybody, for your generosity. And I know there are promises still to come and there's just a few days left in this 40 days and 40 nights. For Slav, you know, I'm walking 40 days, 40 minutes a day. It's been at least 5k a day I'm doing and I'm not drinking for the uh, duration as well. All to raise awareness again about Slav Vavro. He's 16 now. He's on a cancer journey since he was 13. And sometimes, you know, Louise, after mm-hmm. three years, people out of yeah. sight, out of mind. Yeah. And I don't know, don't it's ask so me how this yeah, came to me. I saw his mum, Nadia, posting or something and just something said to me, you've got to do something here and look at, look at the good that's come of it. But the good has come of it because of all the people who've supported. Mm. And again, if you want to go into the GoFundMe, it's uh, GoFundMe.com, Oxygen for Slav as well there. But thank you indeed. It's uh, It's been wonderful. And we'll be talking to Slav's mum on the show when this all winds up the 40 days and nights. Next week, Nadia will be joining us. Now, still to come on Late Lunch today, we're talking crows with Niall Hatch from Birdwatch after two. Fascinating, I promise you. What a brave young woman is the tenant of the messages that are coming to us today. A listener on to say, Jerry, in my book, that was a very lenient sentence. And I think uh, I do believe Aoife has spoken about that as well. What a brave girl Aoife is, Jerry. I wish her all the very best for the rest of her life. Another one there talking about Aoife's bravery as well and saying that my daughter went through a similar experience. But unfortunately for us, the DPP didn't follow through and the perpetrator is walking round where we live. Our lives will never be the same. But Aoife, to you, I wish you a bright future. That message coming to us on Late Lunch today, along with more as well, talking about Aoife's bravery. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text us to the show if you have something to say, or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Now, have a wee listen to this. Familiar, is it? Well, it's fairly familiar with me, I have to say, because out of my walks this weather, I've noticed how many crows are a building in the trees at the moment. And in one place, the noise of them as I pass by is something else. Now, when we talk about crows, there are many different species of crows live here in Ireland. And sure, there's only one man to give a shout to when you want to know all about crows. It's Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland. Hello again, Niall. 
Hello, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Now, just to context this, and of course, I've delved into your wonderful, uh, one of the books you sent out to me in my membership pack from Birdwatch, and it's so informative, uh, uh, one of the books with all the Irish native birds in it. And I do Mm. know that you have Hooded, Carrion, Raven, Rook, Jackdaw, Magpie, and there's another one there. So we have a number of species now. We do. Ireland has a good uh, good diversity of crows, and uh, they're not all the the sort of the, the the black birds that people might might think. Most crows are indeed black, but we have one, the jay, which is actually pink with blue in its wings. And I have my favourite crow of all, which is the chuff, which has black feathers, all right, but it has this lovely long curved red beak and mm. bright red legs. Found in coastal areas, particularly on the on the uh, on the south and the west coasts. Uh, really entertaining bird, um, really fascinating. And that's what, that's the thing I love about crows. You can never be bored watching them. They're very intelligent. They're very very engaging uh, and very, very crafty as well. So I think, you know, there's certainly a lot more to them than meets the eye. Now, what's the most common crow in the country? You know, if you're talking about in and around our towns and villages and those noisy guys I hear nesting high in the trees, who, which of those and the ones I mentioned there is most common? So when I say the word crow, the bird mm. that most people are thinking of is the rook, which is our probably our most common member of the crow family. It's the sort of all black uh, crow with very sort of shaggy plumage uh, and it has sort of a bare patch of skin on its face. It's such a common sight in Ireland. You always see them walking in fields, walking at the side of the road, coming into gardens. Uh, so that's, that's our, most, uh, our most common crow. And it's often joined by another bird, the jackdaw, which is also a very common member of the crow family. Uh, from Old English, jack means small, daw meant crow, so small crow crow and it's uh, it's mainly black although when you look up close it actually has sort of a silvery grey kind of wash on the back of its neck and has a pale eye as well and you often find the rooks and the jackdaws together uh, another very familiar member of the crow family is the hooded crow it tends not to gather into such big numbers or big groups or flocks as the previous two that I mentioned uh, but it's very easily recognised it's, it's got that black and grey plumage so sometimes it's called the, the grey crow or the scald crow in different parts of Ireland uh, so the hooded crow in, in ornithological circles is how it, what it's normally called and that's, again, very widespread. You'll often see them uh, along the sides of roads, coming into gardens, coming into fields. A bit wary of humans, though, compared to, let's say, the, the rook or, or the jackdaw. And then, of course, uh, the crow that uh, everybody knows. Um, some hate them, some love them. I, I love them, I must admit. That's the magpie. It yes. uh, doesn't look like the others. Black and white plumage, big long tail, and a lovely iridescence in the feathers as well. So when it's in good light, you actually see that black, in, especially on the tail. It's not actually black at all. It has all sorts of iridescent bronzes and greens and purples in it. So it's a very a very pretty bird. Uh, and so they'd be the they'd be the common four mm. that most people would encounter on a daily basis. And those guys I'm seeing with their nests up high in the tree, Nile, and a, a number of nests across, say five or six trees. I could nearly take it that that is the rooks. Yes, and those big nesting areas are called rookeries, mm. and uh, that is uh, th- that's very classic for the way that they behave. Sometimes they'll use the same sort of group of nesting trees for for many generations. They have sort of a almost a culture built up around them, both where they nest and where they also will sleep outside the nesting season. They're, they're a bird that's that's happy in large groups, but within those large groups, there is very much a hierarchy. So uh, they're always vying for position. There's dominant birds, there's subservient birds, and the birds that uh, are the most uh, the most dominant in the group they get to nest and also to sleep higher up in the trees. Uh, that has a couple of, of, of advantages for them. It means that they're able to see over the wider countryside, so they see danger coming, they have a better opportunity to spot food. But also, when they're sleeping at night, um, it, if, you, if you bear in mind, of course, that crows, when they're sleeping, they're defecating all the time during the night. Mm. If you're on the top, you're fine. 
if you're a lower ranking crow and you're down the bottom you've also got stuff raining down on you so it pays it pays to be on the top <laughs> it generally speaks for everything in life Niall never mind the crows anyway like uh, the rookery you talk about there would there ever be a case say for example the jackdaw or hooded crow would share uh, you know adjacent trees or perhaps branches in the same tree with the rook Sometimes they will, yes. You will get especially jackdaws and, and rooks nesting together. Uh, jackdaws also like to nest inside cavities. So they're the ones that sometimes make a bit of a nuisance of themselves nesting inside chimneys and places like that. Uh, they t- tend to prefer to have a sort of a structure over them, but they will they will nest in the trees with the rooks. The hooded crows will as well, although they don't gather into such big groups. They're more solitary. Mm. They will sort of form loose groups and they, they don't mind associating with the rooks. They're all kind of fairly evenly matched with each other. Uh, the two that don't like each other at all are the, the hooded crows and the magpies because... Uh, the magpies very much dislike the hooded crows because hooded crows like to eat magpie chicks. So they raid their nests. So the magpies usually would nest quite separately from the other crows. They build a big dome-shaped nest with sticks over the top of it. And that's a nice protection for them from, from, from hooded crows that might come in on top and try to eat the eggs or the chicks. And you did say there, just going back to something you said, they come back taking rooks, for example. The rookeries, they are year on year and crows will nest successive years in the same tree in the same place. They will, and crows are, are, are quite long-lived birds. Um, they can easily live for, for 25, even 30 years. When you consider that you know, a robin in your backyard may only last two or three years, that's actually pretty good going for, for a wild bird. So they have a long time to learn the tricks of the trade. They seem to pass on this knowledge to each other. As I said, they're highly intelligent, and they do have um, almost forms of language and, and of culture. They really are very interesting. They seem to be able to have logical thinking. They seem to be self-aware. They seem to understand the concept of death. They uh, are able to communicate information to each other to uh, experiences that, that they've had that the other birds haven't and they learn from this so they're far more intelligent than we give them credit for in fact almost scarily intelligent they're, they're very very bright uh, and that's one of the reasons why they're so successful because they're able to overcome problems they're able to you know if a type of food disappears or it's difficult to find somewhere to nest they're able to use logic and think ah well I could probably switch to doing this or I could move there other birds uh, which really mainly run on instinct they're not so adaptable so they're not able to survive when, when, uh, when mm. things are thrown against them and sometimes that can lead to misunderstandings with us humans because we see sometimes smaller bird populations disappearing we see the crows still doing fine and people think ah that the crows have driven out the small bird populations in fact what's usually happening is that it's we humans that have changed the landscape and have driven out those smaller birds they haven't been able to cope with it and they've disappeared but the crows have been able to cope with it they've learned to uh, to adapt to, to suit this new world that we've created for them so that's a, that's really how that works uh, but not all of our crows are quite so um, so common or so adaptable the chuff that I mentioned uh, to you, that lovely glossy black crow with the, the long curved red beak, it's really just in coastal areas. Then you have the colourful jay, which is that, uh, that that pink one with the blue and the wings. Really beautiful bird. It's quite shy and it's always in forests, in woodland, particularly in oak trees because they love to eat acorns. So you find them there. And then, of course, we have the biggest crow of all, which is the raven. Uh, ravens are shy around people. They tend to be in the uplands and in the bogland areas. They will occasionally move into into sort of suburban areas. One or two birds will sometimes do that. It's it's a huge bird, a really big bird, wingspan of over a metre, big sort of shaggy throat. And compared to any other crow that you would see, it's much, much larger. So even the hooded crow, which is a hefty enough bird, if you see that beside a, a raven, it makes the hooded crow look small. Yeah, so they are big, big creatures. Now, their nests, I know, are rudimentary. They just like a, look like a jumble of twigs put together. At times, I wonder how they survive in a storm high up in the tree. But Patricia's been on to say, Jerry, crows help each other build nests. Build nests. Obviously, Patricia is an observer of crows. There's a lot of teamwork. Would N- N- Niall agree with me? there Patricia wants uh, to know 
I, I would indeed. Patricia's absolutely right. They do cooperate, and that's very unusual uh, in, in the natural world. There's not many animals that do that. And so studies have been done on this, particularly in North America, with a crow species there called the American crow, which is, is it's an all-black crow, very similar to our one here. Uh, like, it looks a bit like our rook without the bare skin on the face. And uh, what, what they found there is that uh, families will help each other. So uh, older siblings will help their parents to build nests and to raise the younger chicks from maybe, you know, maybe a, a crow that's two or three years old will still be helping its parents with this year years young. Uh, they also then sort of have these loose associations where they will uh, partner with their uncles and their aunts and all of this to try and cooperate. And this is thought to be um, all about genetic survival uh, because, of course, uh, you know, it's not just in most in most animals, the parents are just looking out for their own chicks. But of course, the, the older siblings, they have a genetic stake in this too because some of their genes are shared with their siblings and with their aunts and uncles and their cousins. And evolution really, it's about the survival of genes rather than the survival of each individual bird. And that's what's driving it. It's genes at a basic level that drive evolution. So there is an advantage to those birds to helping their nearest kin. So normally when there is this cooperation happening, it's usually among birds who are related in the same sort of family group. Uh, but there's very few other birds in Ireland that do that. Uh, so most birds, they're just by themselves doing it. They don't get any help. Once their their uh, offspring have left the nest, they're done and dusted with their parents. They never see them again. Or if they do, they're strangers to each other. Not with crows. They know each other. Uh, they uh, they know how each other related to each other. They have this, 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 uh, this society, really. They're very, very social birds. And that's key to understanding them, I think. Now, here's another interesting one coming just now from a listener who says, I've always wanted to ask this question and find out the answer. It puzzles me. Where do crows sleep at night in autumn, winter time when the nests are more or less gone? Yes, um, birds really only use their nests to lay their eggs and to rear their chicks. Most birds actually have no interest in nests outside of the breeding season, which is essentially the spring and, and a good part of the summer. So the rest of the year, what the crows do is they gather together into these big evening roosts. So the roosting is sleeping for birds. They all gather together in big flocks and they'll often gather in a big big flock of trees, often, often a stand of trees that's with open countryside around it so they can see danger coming. And they'll gather there in their hundreds or even in their thousands. And so there'll be a big sort of, uh, I suppose, uh, an outgoing of them from various towns and cities and urban areas to go to more rural areas where they'll gather maybe several kilometres away in these trees to sleep at night. So it can seem like they disappear from, from towns and cities at night and then come back in the following morning. And that's because they're joining these big communal roosts. And that makes a lot of sense for them because uh, there's, the, the, there's, there's safety in numbers. There's more pairs of eyes watching out for danger. So if a predator comes, uh, your, your, your flock mates are going to spot it and you get early warning. And of course, if a predator like a peregrine falcon or something does come in, it may well kill one of those crows, but it's more likely to get your neighbour than you. Um, so the odds are you'll probably survive. So that's one of the reasons why these birds gather together in, in big flocks. So what they do is, yep, they sleep in, in usually in big, big groups of hundreds or even of thousands of birds. And then when it comes to the nesting season, they break up a little bit more and spread into smaller groups. At the moment, you know, the nests are well underway. Some of them complete, I take already. Would there be eggs in nests at this time? And is it just one clutch in the year, Niall? Uh, so there, there may well be eggs in the nest at the moment. It's quite early, but I've seen some magpies here building uh, near me. I live just on, in, in North Wicklow in, in, near Greystones, and I, I see them building at the moment. So there could be eggs at the moment. It wouldn't be the peak uh, just yet. In another couple of weeks, that, that, that will peak. Uh, normally, they just have one brood per year. Although if it, if it fails, if, you know, if, if the eggs were destroyed early on, uh, the, the pair or the female could go and relay and might relay, raise those eggs. But they invest a lot into those chicks. Those chicks take quite a while to grow, and they're, you know, they're very, very smart and intelligent. They have a lot to learn from their parents. Uh, so normally one brood is the norm each year. So if you contrast that to a bird like a blackbird or a robin, they would regularly have two broods per year. And a bird like a swallow would have three or in good years even four. So they really breed as much as they can. But the crows, they invest more into each individual chick.
Tell me this before we finish. How do they know that I've just gone out and ground-fed in my garden and they just appear like that? Because they're watching you, or at least one of them is watching you. Um, so they, they know, they're, they're very smart. When they see you go out to the garden, they've realised, ah, when he goes out there, soon afterwards there's food on the ground. So we associate him with food. And they wouldn't all have to look because in this, this, these flocks and these family groups that they have, one could be on lookout. And then he could just be calling to the others. They often call to each other and just say, hey, this guy's put the food out again in the garden. Uh, and then they all descend. So that's how they do it. They're very, very smart. There's really a communication network between them. And uh, just uh, another one before I go. A listener says, do they pick flowers uh, that you freshly planted. This listener is talking about pansies they put on a grave recently and they suspect that the crows may be pulling them out. It's it's possible. Crows will do almost anything, really. Uh, because they're so intelligent, what comes with that is boredom. Uh, if you have the, the power to think and to make plans and, and to play, as crows do, they often do things just for the fun of it. Uh, if you have nothing to do, you get a bit bored. So that's why the association with connecting shiny objects or beautiful objects yes. or colourful objects, that's where that came from. They need to be stimulated. And very often that's adolescent crows. They, they, they essentially form what could be described as teenage gangs who go around causing mischief. That's what they do. Uh, they, they, they really get a kick out of that. Uh, sometimes it seems that they like to stir up trouble. They like to be chased by people sometimes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just the way they are. But they're, they're very intelligent and so they need a lot of stimulation. So if the crows are taking the flowers from the grave, um, I'm very sorry to hear about that, but it could well be that they're doing it because, yeah, they're, they're just interested in them and they're a bit bored. That might yeah, be what's happening. They're playful. Niall, I will never, ever again look on the crow family with the uh, blinkered uh, eyes I have <laughs> up until this because I love the smaller ones. Their intelligence is amazing and you really have opened my eyes and the ears I'm sure of many many of our listeners today to the wonder of the Crow family you're brilliant and just again to say to listeners please do join Birdwatch Ireland I am a member it's a wonderful resource you love it they look after you all year and they need your membership now more than ever Google Birdwatch Ireland and join today Niall Hatch until the next time thank you so much thanks a million thank you take care Niall Hatch there brilliant man from Birdwatch Ireland the crows there you have it have you a crow story i have a crow story i'm going to tell you after the break are you lighter i'm talking about lighter in terms of two wheels have you had a bicycle stolen this year or misplaced a bicycle if you have in the last 12 months dundalk garda station have quite a number of bicycles there and they don't have owners for them so your bike could be there. I'm just saying it to you. And the Gardaí want to help you. If it is your bike they have, they want to return it to the rightful owner, of course. If you've lost a bike or had it stolen, Dundalk Gardaí want to hear from you. You can contact them, Dundalk Policing uh, Unit up there. And the email address is dundalk.community at garda.ie. That's dundalk.community at garda.ie is the address. And you will need, of course, to prove that the bicycles are actually yours. Will I tell you a crow story Louise? Go on. You want to hear it? Before I do, there's a listener on to say, um, Jerry, an old man told me years ago that crows don't build on a Sunday. Now they're intelligent <laughs> but I'm not sure that they know the days of the week. What do you think Louise? Do you think they know the days of the week? Uh, I doubt it but it'd be interesting. Mm. To, maybe Thank would, you for your comment. Maybe he lit a fire on a Sunday. Well you know it's something I may have heard that story myself in the past and it just came in a bit late because Niall was gone when we when I wanted to I couldn't put it on. He was gone at that stage. Anyway my crow story and I'll tell you when I get my list hold on hold on hold on bear with me. Sorry, I shouldn't do that. You and your list. Uh, I have it here, yeah. Yes. <laughs> OC and me. 
Yes, uh, I'm actually talking about Jack Dawes. When I bought my first house, St. Enders, it was an old house, an old man lived in it, and it was in big disrepair, and should the chimney, the chimney was blocked from just below at the fire grate, right up to the two stories, years and years of Jack Dawes, one of the Crow family, building in the chimney. And of course, sure, we had to get the whole thing cleaned and, and restored and that. And when we were taking out all the twigs and stuff, you know, that they put yeah. down over the years... Guess what Jack. we found in the chimney? Loads of jewellery. A 10 shilling note. Really? Yes. <laughs> an old 10 shilling note in the chimney. In, 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 as Niall was saying there, they must have picked it up. To nest. To nest as it used to build as part of it. There was a 10 shilling note in the chimney. Good God, we couldn't believe it. It was some story as we cleaned down the chimney. You had your own uh, little uh, uh, tete-a-tete with the Crow family, I believe. Yeah, they attacked me. It was last lockdown and it was only the days into lockdown and everybody was very wary, the very first one. And I went to Little to get about six weeks of shopping and I decided I would be safer for COVID going on that I'd pack everything at the car and put them into bags at the car. Okay. And I was there and I was putting stuff into the boot of the car and I heard this rustle and I turned around and there was a crow. So I just kind of chew, chew, clap my hands or whatever. And, and then I heard this something drop and I turned around and there was a packet of buns had fallen on the ground that that the crow had forced off my trolley and he was pecking at it. And again, and he had brought a little friend. So I went, like, clap my hands and chew, chew. And, and they chew, chewed at me and they came at me. <laughs> I was terrified. It's like something out of The Birds by Stephen King or... Alfred oh, Hitchcock. No. Alfred Hitchcock starring King, Louise it? Walsh in the remake of The Birds. Yeah. Was, oh, no, I was very scared. Oh, no, it was like at, one of those things and I let out a scream and yeah. I swear there was people looking at me from all Did over Did you retrieve your buns or did they get some? No, they hadn't... Okay. Pecked right, right through the... But they knew what they were looking yeah, for there. See, fun. they are clever. They are clever fellas. And they are big birds. And there's Huge. no doubt they can be intimidating. Mm. That is for sure. I remember another one just has come to me. And it was a member of the Crow family. I couldn't tell you what species it was because it wasn't here. We were in uh, Cape Canaveral. Right. Where the Apollos blast off from in the year 2000 on holidays. And we were sitting outside having ice cream and I can still see Jared with the ice cream look mm, yeah. in his hand and the next thing whoosh in came your man <laughs> and took the whole top off the ice cream and away oh the poor and did you buy him a new one I can just see his face as he looks at me <laughs> with the mouth wide open <laughs> What was that? <laughs> a rocket. Whoosh! And he took it. They're clever. They're clever, them crows. They really are. Anyway, <laughs> if you have a crow story, come on and share it with us. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show now with your, <laughs> with your little story and we'd be glad to read it for you. Still to come on Late Lunch. Yes, a Dundalk company, Intact Software doing great during pandemic they have a great story and they're joining me in a wee while on the show but heading on on the voyage that is late lunch this Wednesday afternoon I love this one it's Will Young and leave right now do not stay where you are you're with late lunch LMFM radio God almighty it never ceases to amaze me on late lunch how you love 
the simple little things, those things that are close to nature. My oh my, the messages are pouring in about crows. They really are. And I'm going to come back to them uh, later on in the show. I'll just read you one. Jerry, I found a pass to Muldoon's nightclub when I cleaned out the nest in our chimney, <laughs> says Annette in RD. I love that. It's like my 10 shilling note. There you are, Muldoon's nightclub. Oh, well, love stories began, of course, in RD. In the chimney of the house, carried there by a member of the Crow family. Maybe they were out for a night out and just brought it back with them to try and get in again for free. So you never know. Anyway, moving on on late lunch this afternoon, we have a real good news story for you now on the business front. Because you see, Intact Software have been included in the Deloitte Fast 50 ranking of the fastest growing Irish technology company, not for one year, but for the last four years. They're based in Dundalk and they are recruiting at this time. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by their CEO, Justin Lawless. Hello, Justin. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much for joining me on the show. Well, you know, at this time when a lot of businesses are going through the mill, it's been a different story for you guys. Just tell our listeners uh, a, a bit of the history of the company. When when was it set up and what do you do? You know, what's your business? <laughs> OK, uh, so we were started in 1992, so almost uh, 30 years ago at this stage. And what we do is we create ERP software. So uh, ERP stands for Enterprise Resource Planning, and it's a terrible name to describe what it is that we do. (laughs) Um, So just to give you an idea, you know, if you walk into a shop and you see uh, people working behind computers and they're typing in, uh, uh, typing into the computers and they're looking up things in the screen, they're typically using what we call an ERP product, which is Enterprise Resource Planning. So it's telling them, about their customers, it's telling them about you if you're buying something from them. It's telling them about what kind of inventory they have in their warehouse. It's telling them that they need to know about their business. And that's what we build. We build that technology that, that helps them to do that. So you are there in places that we never even know when we go and do our daily business. There you are in the background and you're working away. Who founded the company? Who came up with the idea? So it was founded back in 92 by uh, a brother of mine, Aidan Lawless, and he was a programmer and an accountant by the name of Paul Murray from from the Knockbridge area just outside Dundalk. Uh, And of course, an accountant and a programmer with all the creativity in the world, they decided to design a a computerized accounts system. (laughs) (laughs) And so since then, we've we've matured nicely, uh, grown to a team of about 180 people and yeah, so we're now we're, we're really competing on the world stage uh, at the ERP software um, uh, stage. So that's what we're doing at the moment. And of course, for you, you uh, were one of the first employees and now you're the top man. <laughs> yeah, I early, very early days. Um, yeah, I used to help out uh, part time as I was working somewhere else and also studying. So uh, I rejoined the company then about 23 years ago, uh, full time, and I took over as CEO uh, about eight years ago. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm loving the role every single day. Why this continued success? What is the, the secret behind your wonderful, you know, your ranking there in that uh, top 50 each year and the fact that you are now expanding again? You want more people to come work for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the success is down to uh, the people. I mean, I was listening to your your, your piece on crows and uh, talking about how well they work together. And that's fundamentally what makes our business work because 
you know, if you think about why companies exist, um, companies typically exist because individuals can't do things on their own. So they need other skills and they need to work together very well. So, but I would also add that, you know, especially this particular difficult time for companies that, you know, we, we are lucky. Uh, we, we are lucky to be in the space that we're in. We're lucky that our customers are in the in the markets that they're in as well. So, um, you know, while Intact's a good news story, of course it is. Uh, we we put a lot of it down to the great people that we have, but we also put a bit of it down to, to luck, of course. Mm, of course, and you need luck in life and anything. It's part and parcel. Eh? The breaks come your way and off you go and the rest is history. Now, at Absolutely. this time, you are a software company and this interests me. I'm curious about this. And as a tech company, you know, remote working should most of the world has been remote working for the, for the last year. Is that a challenge to guys like you as well? Um, well, to guys like well, when you say guys like me, I mean at a personal level, uh, I, I'm usually traveling quite quite a lot, yeah. and having having a, an amazing wife and amazing kids that support that, that that travel is 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 really I'm really fortunate to have. Um, so working remotely is is definitely something that I'm very very used to. Um, but as a team, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult. I mean, we went from having you know 150, 160 people in our offices um, on a on a Monday, and then on Tuesday not one person in the office. So it was technology that facilitated that for us. And it's amazing. You spend a lot of time on paper-based exercises, you know, planning for contingencies that you never really expect to happen. And all of a sudden, COVID hits and, uh, you know, we had to exercise that that, that emergency plan. So we were, we were very fortunate. But, you know, remote working has its positives, but it also has its downsides. And I think, you know, creativity is sometimes lost if you can't spend time with, with another person in, in a room. So... That's something that we're we're, we're keen to we're keen to get uh, get sorted shortly. Yeah, that's a very good point. It is, and uh, the uh, human interaction. This is great, and I've I've had to use it myself working from home for months here last year, uh, bringing the show to uh, LMFM listeners, and it was a challenge. I have to say that because I like people, and uh, you're right about that creativity thing. But just back to you for a moment. Surely there's uh, a silver lining on not being away so much from home for you personally. <laughs> Oh, there is. I mean, you know, the, the amount of time you spend sitting on a runway or, you know, in, in, a, in a departure terminal, it's, it's you know, it's, it's just great to spend time with the kids, see them growing up and um, even having them at home. And I know that, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to, to, to have space around us that we can, you know, kind of enjoy the, the, the little bit of lockdown. And I know that's kind of controversial to say, and I don't like saying it, but there are those small wins amongst all this stuff that, yes. you know, you do get to spend a bit more time with your with your mm. family. Do you feel uh, work has changed forever, that there will be a marrying of the remote aspect of work with uh, office-based? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at it as being a blended approach. And, you know, certain things will require people to be in certain locations for, for you know, a lot of the things that we do, uh, like our, our, our team spend a lot of time on our customers' sites. So, they go in and they deploy the technology and they train people how to use it and they, mm. they, they, they tweak it for people as well. So that's a very much a hands-on yeah. experience as well. And, and, you know, it helps people to, um, it helps people to, to, to learn the systems much, much quicker. And, uh, that's just what people like. And, and, you know, people do like that face to face. I mean, as much as technology has helped us, um, it, it, it certainly people are creating that, that, that face to face. And, you know, I believe that, you know, we did all these things face to face because as human beings, we wanted to do that. Uh, 
you know, so I think that there's always going to be a desire to get back into those into those social uh, arenas quite soon. Mm, I love one of the campaigns and you've run many in-house and out-house, of course, as well. We don't just develop software, we develop our people too. Oh, I really <laughs> like that one. I take it that like, you know, you mentioned about the crows and yourselves, you know, mirroring them and the teamwork as well. Without people, what is a business? Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, we, we say, you know, we develop people, but people develop us. I mean, mm. I, you know, I'm sure you mentioned me as being the CEO, but every day I learn from other people in the organization. Um, when we bring in new people to the organization, one of the first things we say to them is, you know, don't stay quiet. If you see something that you think we should be doing better, you know, your voice is is, is valid and as valuable, if not more valuable than that of the CEO. So I, I think it's really, really important that we recognize that. And as we all try to learn from each other, um, we're developing each other as we go. Now, you know where we are situated here in County Loud, Dundalk, Drogheda, RD, even across into the commuter belt in County Mead. A lot of people in and out of Dublin City every day where the main action was in employment. A lot of commuting up early, children having to be moved out of the house at Cockrow and etc. I don't have to tell you, you know what I'm talking about. Isn't there now, uh, with you guys looking for a number of people, quite a number of people for various positions, an opportunity for the commuters you know to bring it all back home yeah and it's a, it's it's a really good point jerry and we have uh people in our team who have done that uh commute to dublin and uh you know of course dublin attracts the younger younger people who who want to go for the for the bright lights of the city and uh but there's a huge personal toll in doing things like that i mean the amount of time you spend on a bus or in, 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 a, in a train i mean it's really really difficult and it's you know it's it's not a pleasant journey to go from this area here to, to Dublin and back on a daily basis. So it's a huge opportunity for us to get more people in our locality to live in live in our, our local regions here and contribute to the contributed to the uh, to the local economy as well. That's that's a key thing. If uh, somebody's listening to us today and their ears are up, uh, how can they find out more about the positions and get in contact with you? Yeah, I mean, the best thing to do is to go to our website and we have a careers page in there. And, you know, we, 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 we've talked, we reckon that it's quite conservative, the, the number of new people that we're going to join the, join the team this year. We think it's actually more than we've been talking about. Um, and we're always looking for talented people. We're always looking for people with ambition, curiosity, uh, people who really, you know, want to want to try and achieve something really cool because, you know, we're, we're a small business still. And we... Um, you know, we're competing with the likes of Microsoft, with the likes of SAP and Sage and these massive global global organizations. So there's something really cool about what we're, we're trying to achieve as, as, a, as a small team. And, uh, you know, we're really getting noticed on the, on the world stage. So people are kind of going, well, what's their secret sauce? So, you know, it's, it's, it's not just about the work for us. You know, it has to be more than that. It has to be about the fun of it, the innovation and, uh, and and the real positive outcomes that we see. Um, if anybody's out there with 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 you know consider themselves ambitious and has that talent that uh, they would like to um, utilize, and uh, yeah, please reach out. Intactsoftware.com is uh, the website. Intactsoftware.com. Yeah, intactsoftware.com, and there's a careers page careers in there. Page yeah, I see it. I'm yeah. actually just looking at it here as as I speak to you. One last thing before we go. Uh, Brexit, of course, you have a big office in the UK as well. Have you felt the chill winds or has it made no difference? 
Uh, well, actually, you know, we th- we think about this as a as a potentially positive thing for for us because um, you know, complex Brexit brings in complexities, and complexity is like a tax on businesses. So they need they don't like to hire people to handle paperwork. So they, they need computers to do those boring, uh, laborious tasks. So we think that there's an opportunity for companies out there to, to actually get a competitive edge uh, to actually fast track their, their, their trading across across borders. So, uh, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a remainer at heart for sure, but with my head, I guess there is a, uh, my business head on, I guess there is an opportunity in all these, in all these crises. So, uh, yeah, but we, you know, some of our customers are certainly feeling the, the ill effect of it yeah. and, uh, we're helping them through that, and all these legislative changes uh, need to get computerized and, monor- uh, and monetized. So that's that's it where we step in. So next time you go out, folks, and you're buying, and the, the technology is being used there, remember Intact Software, based in Dundalk with the HQ, are behind many many of those transactions. Justin, may I wish you? all the success in the world going forward congratulations on a wonderful story and I'm sure you're going to get plenty of good people joining that team of yours intactsoftware.com thank you for joining me on Late Lunch thank you thank you very much Jerry and Jerry sorry just before I go can I just say thank you to the guys from ESB who were just about to cut off the power to do some work and I said please don't I'm about to go on to the radio so they were having a bit of a laugh well so, uh, just say thanks to the local guys in ESB well I think they've just barely kept you on because we had a little blip or two along there it didn't affect the chat just here and there so uh, uh, thank you for telling us about that because I'd say it might have just had something to do with it but you've been on and we've got 99.9% of everything you and I said which is great indeed but well done to the electricity people Justin been a pleasure thank you Thanks very much, Sherry. Take, Take care, care of yourself. Bye bye. That's Justin Lawless there, CEO of Intact Software. Well, 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 Miss Walsh. It's amazing what you get from an old crow, isn't it? Isn't it just? Isn't it? It really is. Listeners just are fantastic. Coming in thick and thin. <laughs> oh, look at this. Brilliant. Yeah, they're still coming. Michael's been on. Oh, Michael's not happy, Louise. Oh, he lives in Nobber. The crows are nesting. They waken him every morning going mad. He can't live with it anymore. And crows are protected. No word that crows are a pest, Cherry. Oh, look, I know, ear, earplugs. A set of earplugs are sorted out for you, I'm sure. And, and there's another one there. Where did I see that one as well? Somebody on. Um, Jerry, hello, Jerry. We have a neighbour who moved into the area and he did up a house beside the woods. But for the last few years, this man shoots them. He shouldn't shoot them. He shouldn't, as they are building their nest. There are loads of houses round, oh. but late evening you'll hear two or three shots going off. Is he shooting I, the crows or just shooting up in the air to oh, fight them? Oh, no, I'd say he's shooting them. I'd uh, make a little phone call on that. You shouldn't oh. be, you know, you shouldn't shoot them. Honest to God. We heard about their intelligence there with Niall. Mm. You've an, you've more there, haven't you? What's the one about the golf balls, is it? Oh, I love this one. I, th- I think I remember this one, Jerry. Um, this is from Tina in Kells. Jerry, there was a crow in the Headford Golf Club who used to land on golf bags and he could open the zips and search the pockets for food and lunches. We saw him pick up a golf ball from the green and drop it in a bunker. <laughs> I love it. I That's really brilliant. love it. Uh, Jerry, the crows start to build on the 1st of March and if it falls on a Sunday, they won't build until Monday, <laughs> says Nancy Lynch. There <laughs> you are. Maybe they know the Sabbath is a sacred day. What do you think? They may do. They may be even cleverer than we think. Nancy, thanks for your lovely message today. Um, Jerry, I've often heard it was lucky, said, I've often heard it said, Jerry, that it was lucky for a bird to poo on you. I I, I believe that. 
I believe that. I believe that it is lucky if you have a board, uh, you know what, on your coat. When my kids were small, we were all in Malahide one lovely sunny afternoon and a border crow did his business all across me on the sunglasses and the shoulder. I was absolutely destroyed. I told them that it could be lucky. Five minutes later, my daughter found... 30 euro on the ground. Mm. The luck bypassed me and came to my little girl, says Sean in Navin mm. this afternoon. It is lucky. It I is must lucky. get my car to do the lottery. So. <laughs> do you know there's a tree out here at the front of LMFM yeah. if you park under it? It's covered <laughs> in bird shit. Did you ever leave your, your I learned car the hard under the tree? Way. Oh, Lord Almighty. And it is the crows. They poo down consistently. Wasn't that a good one with Niall? The higher you're up in the pecking order, <laughs> you're not shit on. <laughs> Doesn't that just apply to life? I'll say that again. It really does. What's, um Seemingly they recognise your face and they can hold a grudge. Can they? Yeah, well, apparently, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, they must so, have done something wrong in the little so car park. human-like. It's unbelievable. You were telling me there, a group of crows is known as... Yes. What would you think? I, c- I can't remember. It's, it, it, you wouldn't connect. I know you wouldn't connect it with the name of no. a group. What is it? It's a murder. A murder of, of crows. crows is mm. what a, a group of them is known as. No, no, you know, no link at all there. Between I think the they two. are normally associated with death and all that, aren't they? But they want Gah! experts want them changed. Gah! When you hear that, you know, they have I mean, regional dialects when they uh, say that as well. Seemingly, <laughs> the car must be a, a Navin dialect. Uh, well, here we go Jerry. I was heading out my side gate to do some tidying in my front garden as I took the lock off the gate my dog was beside me and suddenly she gave this awful yelp and when I looked to see why the crow had knocked the iron thing that was 25 years in the chimney pot off and it hit poor Holly on the head <laughs> says Pat oh they were trying to build in the chimney pot now, there you go. Did somebody else find something? I thought I saw another one going through there um, about somebody finding something Nina else. has in an aggressive chimney. crow. Uh, oh, yeah, there's another it? one there. Uh, crows love to pester buzzards. I've seen that. You know, the big buzzards. I've seen crows chasing them. Uh, magpies, Jerry. I've se- they've been known to steal a golf ball. God, you can imagine. That's a big gob you'd need. You never you? come across them on golf courses. Never know you. Not really, golf. not really. Magpies, are you are you superstitious about the magpie, who is a member no. of the crow family, of, co- of course, no? I've a, I've a friend from Finland, and in Finland, if you see a magpie, it's actually good luck. Well, I always, uh, if I see two or more, I'm happy. Mm. Two especially, really? uh, two for joy. If I see one, I salute him. I always salute a single magpie. One in flight is worth two in sight. You ever heard that one? No, I never heard that before. There's one fly and you're okay. But but that's that's, such an old thing, isn't it? Salute him. Mm. I salute you, Mr. Magpie, if you only see one of them. It's lovely, his white waistcoat and his black. You know, he looks like a waiter, doesn't he, a magpie? (laughs) If you think about a waiter, you know, the white and the black as well, yeah. Ah, crows, 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 indeed. More than crows. Instead of give it. (laughs) Yes, Jerry, I've seen crows pick up uh, balls on a pitch and putt course, fly into the air, and drop them to the ground. My oh my. And another listener there saying, I heard you mention earlier on, Jerry, about crows picking flowers from a grave. I can confirm that is the case. I've watched them do it on our family grave. Thank you indeed for that message. Mark McQuillan was on and he remembers his mother Mary telling him about a crow's court. Weirdest thing you've ever seen. All the crows circle in a field. One crow is in the centre. 
they attack this crow because he or she is out of favour with the rest of them. God, I never heard of that before. That was Mary's story anyway, a crow's, a crow's court. Anyone else ever hear about that? Amazing, isn't it, the stories you get about our black-feathered friends. Well, you know, you're so good, you really are. The contributions come in for Slav as I'm on the air. Mick Finnegan, Road Safety Officer with Mead County Council. Mick. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciated. Listen to this. Just landed on my desk to Jerry. Thanks for a lovely programme. I listen to you every day. Very interesting, I must say. I wish you and yours a lovely Easter. Jerry, this money is for Slav. Uh, and I wish him and his family all the very best. That comes in from Mary C today. Thank you so much indeed. And all that money going directly to Nadia Slav and the family, I can promise you. And we move along with the total. It's great. It's great. Coming to the final few days. Finish my 40 days and nights this Sunday. Now, my artist of the week this week is Christy Moore. And the 1980s saw Christy become a member of Moving Hearts for a couple of years because... His wandering feet got the better of him again and away he was on the solo career. He released eight studio albums during the decade that was the 80s, which included the likes of The Time Has Come, Ride On, Ordinary Man, Unfinished Revolution and The Voyage, of course. In the early part of his career... And up to that time, Christie lived life on the wild side. He drank a lot. There was cocaine in abundance. And basically, he didn't look out for or after himself. But in life, there's nearly always a price to pay. And in 1987, a heart attack, a major one, stopped him in his tracks. But with assistance and time, he got to grips with his addictions. And so, back to one of those albums I mentioned a moment ago on its title track, a song now synonymous with Christie, but written by Jimmy McCarthy. It's about McCarthy's time as an apprentice jockey and his progression in the pursuit of glory on horseback. <laughs> Ride on. Christy Moore on Late Lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Wonderful songs. Great old one, isn't it, for a sing-song late at night, the early hours of the morning. Someone will give that an old spin. So the will, it's a classic. It really is. And more about Christy and another wonderful song from one of our national treasures when it comes to songwriting and singing tomorrow at the same time on the show it's not puzzle friday we will have a puzzle this friday eamon says jerry when did good friday fall on an easter sunday ah that's to do with the old ggs isn't it yes it was a horse that fell at a race meeting i'm sure eamon and uh, mary mcavoy's been on to me to say thanks a million jerry ah he's the business christy you did what i asked you play an irish one in your artist of the week there will be more irish as well i promise you over the course of the weeks and months ahead mary thanks for all your comments to the show final break of the afternoon and we're going to have a chat in a couple of moments with liam o'neill a few weeks back, you might remember Martin O'Halloran, he's a man involved deeply with the GA in County Mead, told us his remarkable weight loss story. And subsequent to that, a man in the Wee County, who's also big time involved with Gaelic Games all his life, he's chairperson of Loud Ladies GA at the moment, contacted us and said, I have an interesting little story just to build on what Martin told you there. And he's on the line. Liam O'Neill, hello. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining me, Liam, on the show. As I said, you were listening to Martin and you started to lose weight, Liam. Take the story up from there. I will indeed. Um, as they often said, hindsight is a great thing. But um, oh, over the past, the summer just gone, 
um, in 2020, um, different people would have said to me when they see me out and about and say, God, you're looking well and coming up with comments like that. And uh, I don't took this as a compliment. This is grand. Uh, but then when it sort of grew, uh, I sort of put out a, a probing question and I would say to some of them, well, great, but why are you saying that? What's different about me? And, uh, oh, you're looking slim and trim. You must be on a, a weight loss program. So I just played it off and sort of thought, well, maybe it's my activities over the summer. Um, I would lose weight anyway over the summer mm. months because I'm involved in, in sport, as you know. But um, then, um, you know, you'd be out shopping. Pandemic was on. You wouldn't see that many. And when you would bump into someone that you knew and they wouldn't have seen you for a while, uh, this was coming back at me again. And I used to say at home here, my God, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Uh, there's so many people saying this to me. Uh, now, I know it was complimentary, but at the same time, the mind starts working overtime. Of course. Um, now, coupled with that, um, I discovered uh, over the summer months as well, on and off, I had a problem with one of my feet. Now, not a major problem, mm. but just under your toes. Um, maybe referee in a match half-time, you take off your boot, you think there was something stuck uh, just under your toes. And i done that a few times and realised, no, nothing there. So um, I started going back to the sea and got into the salt water, as you do, and uh, got relief from that, and that was fine. But um, fast forward that then to November, uh, just gone, in, in 2020, um, sitting at the table one day just having my dinner. Didn't feel that well, and uh, I think these things were starting then to go through my mind. So my wife is a diabetic and has been for about 20-odd years. So I said, here goes. Maybe I'll just do a finger prick and see what my reading, my blood sugar reading is. Mm. So, um, believe it or not, I'm no expert on diabetes, but I do believe the regular reading should be somewhere between five and seven. Yeah. Uh, now, I took mine at a bad time because it was after eating. But think about this. I read it and it was 34. Wow. Oh, I said, dead man walking here. Mm. So the first thing I done was I rang my doctor and... Uh, she made an appointment for the following morning. So I took a reading before I left the house, and it was back down, and I say back down, still very high, at 18. Mm. So went straight to the doctor's the next morning, and she didn't even consider doing a test. She said, I'm writing out a letter now for the medical assessment unit in the Lourdes Hospital. Right. So I went in there for 8 o'clock the next morning, and I got out of it two days later. So there uh, was uh, an emergency situation, really, Liam. Those readings are off the chart. Oh, off the wall completely. Absolutely, completely. Uh, and I did not have the regular symptoms of a diabetic, which could mean getting up in the middle of the night, yep. uh, maybe more than once. None of that. Absolutely mm. none of that. So I didn't give it a second thought until I took that reading, and I tell you, it frightened the light out of me. Mm. So when I heard Martin speaking... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said, well, my God, there's a man who was trying to lose weight and I'm trying to hold on to what I've got. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you just do not know what underlying reason could be there. And I know being a diabetic is nothing unusual. There's thousands of people out there with it. But it's how I found out about it is what might help other people to to assist them to get to the bottom of their problems. Absolutely, Liam. It's a salutary lesson in this, as you say. No classical symptoms, nothing like that, and yet no. you had it, and you were in a dangerous position. They stabilised you. Are you on any medication subsequently? 
I am, Jerry. yes. And uh, they don't come without reactions as well. But however, um, um, I'm on two tablets a day and one small injection a week. Uh, when I say small, it's, um, it was halved about a month ago because it was too strong. Mm. Um, and it's degenerate your own insulin. So I'm not a worst-case scenario in that end of it now. And my readings are back down to about six and seven. Mm. So it's well under control. And I've spoken to a nutritionist as well for advice on the various foods to avoid and yes. stuff like that. You know, so I'm trying to reverse it. You can't cure it, but I'm trying my best to reverse it. Yeah, look, you were a lucky man. You really were with with uh, those numbers that you mentioned there. Thank God you did that little bit prick on your finger and you yeah. found out like immediately because you had somebody else in the house who's been through this for, for years. Um, how are you feeling today, Liam? Well, to be honest, there you have good days and bad days. Yeah. Um, the injection I take um, is to cut back on your appetite. Uh, and it certainly does that big time. I mean, instead of eating three or four potatoes at your dinner, which you could do, I'm eating one average one, and the rest is vegetables. Uh, you can eat chicken and meat and all that, but no fat on it, no skin, yeah. all that sort of stuff you have to do away with. And very little... Um, very little sweet stuff. Mm. So you I are... You can avoid it. Yeah, and you are living by a regime now that you have to live by and you understand, along with your medication and the, the wee jab there, that, that will uh, keep you right. Um, yeah. I take it won't stop you blowing the whistle? Absolutely not, Jerry. no. Good. I mean, I've lost, I've lost a bit too stone yeah. in weight and... Uh, I tell you, that'll be a big help. Yeah, of but, course. You'll be moving. You'll be moving faster than ever. You'll get away with well, nothing on the pitch now. Oh, so I'm told look it's good of you to come on because some people when uh, they find themselves in this situation they like to keep it private to themselves but it's good for you to tell us today and there are people listening I'm sure that you will have been a big help to and just in case they're worried or concerned about something like a weight loss with no particular reason well there is Liam O'Neill's story for you today Liam you're yeah. great thank you for joining me leave it there for today Thanks, Jerry. Take care of yourself. That's Liam O'Neill there, chairperson of Loud Ladies GAA and a fine fella and a really good referee as well. That's a lot on late lunch for this Wednesday afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's raring to go with the drive tomorrow on the show. Neve Rice is joining us. Yes, she is a, a GAA player as well. She has a hell of a story to tell us uh, tomorrow as regards her career and her life. Anthony Murphy... Yes, Mythical Ireland, he is a brilliant new book out. Not typical of Anthony, I have to say, but related. Ruth Tynan is joining us from Canada. She's a Meath woman. And Martin Lawler, many soccer fans out there in Dundalk and Drogheda would remember Martin Lawler. Yes, he's onto something big in the mental health area and he's telling us about it on the show tomorrow. Have a lovely evening. Take care of yourselves. I'm nearly there at this stage, away for the walk today. Hope the rain holds off. Anyway... Have a nice one. See you tomorrow for another Late Lunch, Thursday, 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Let us amaze you with our fantastic used car offers. With over 300 different makes and models, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars to choose from. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. Finance can be arranged to suit all budgets. Call or visit blackstonemotors.ie today to find your next car. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.